The gospel reading, which this sermon is based off of, is from St. Luke, the 23rd chapter. And there followed Jesus a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself with us, and us. And the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, to it, and he said Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the Lord. My father was born and raised Roman Catholic. He was a good Catholic too. And his mom, my grandma, was also a good Catholic. And so being one, she said, my son has to go to a private Catholic Christian school. And so she sent him to St. Leonard Parish Parochial School through the 8th grade in Berwyn, Illinois. And because it was the 70s and things were different and I guess their financial situation and a whole other set of dynamics. My grandma told my dad when he graduated eighth grade, I expect you to go to continue on to Catholic high school to go to Fenwick in Lyons, but you have to pay for it. And so my dad had to get a job and he went to a place that he knew and trusted, St. Leonard Parish Parochial School, where he would become a custodian at the age of 13. So, as a custodian, he came to know the depravity of man. More specifically, the depravity that came out of man who were once his fellow peers. And so, he had to look for reasons to explain his current suffering as a custodian in a Catholic way, because that was the way he was raised. And so he looked for devotion through service. He remembered back to what Sister Margaret had told his first grade class about the poor souls in purgatory. She said, if you were to do enough good works, 
then you could merit time out of purgatory, not only for yourself, but your family members too. And so even after my dad met my mom and became a good, steadfast Lutheran, and he heard God's word, which explained to him, opened his heart to the concept that we are saved by God's grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves, still, this couldn't take away the humor that cultivated my father by growing up Catholic. You see, my brother and I were always brought along with my dad, my dad being eternally self-giving to say, help upkeep a property of an inner city church on a Saturday or help an elderly neighbor take the leaves out of the gutter when we could be playing Game Boy or even changing light bulbs at the church instead of watching TV. My brother and I weren't always in the best of moods with my father's worldview. But you see, my father, he wanted to take what was broken in this world and make it beautiful. He wanted to seek out true, genuine people, get to know them, and make their daily struggle a little lighter. So even if my brother and I went along kicking and screaming, my dad would always take this opportunity to pull out one of his mottos from growing up, one of his mantras, if you will. He would always say, Think of the time you're getting out of purgatory. <laughs> he would always say, you know, what if you get to heaven and St. Peter looks at his clipboard, takes his pencil from behind his ear, and he says, says here on the forum, you only changed 356 light bulbs of the church. Cut off is 357. Sorry. So as Lutherans, we would laugh. But my father always urged us, don't forget, this is how many, if not most, of the people out there view the world. And so I was reminded of my dad, of his life story, when one day I was coming home from work at Village and I was in the car. I didn't want to listen to podcasts, didn't want to listen to music, flipped on the radio. It was NPR, my go-to place to find out how everyone out there is thinking right now. And they were talking about climate change. Now, instead of just turning it off or blowing it off, I kept listening because they started to talk about the near future, how in 2050, 2100, there's going to be famines, floods, earthquakes, there's going to be wars, nation against nation, you know, the sun and moon, we're going to lose their brightness, all because of the effects of human carbon emissions leading to climate change. And I thought, this sounds a lot like what Jesus said the end times would be like. This is what it sounds like the day of the Lord, his second coming, is going to be like in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And then people started to call in to the hotline. And they started to talk about the ways that, uh, what they were doing themselves to prevent or reverse climate change. They started to say things that we normally hear about. And if you're my age, heard about in school. Things like taking cold showers, eating less red meat, uh, and walking instead of driving, taking the bus, taking the train, all to reduce your personal carbon footprint. Well, it sounded like everyone was so afraid of this coming judgment upon themselves in the near future due to their, their own sins that people were starting to change their behavior, their sinful lives, to try and stop it from happening. 
And so phone calls started to come in and they started to get a little dark. First, the lady said that when she was younger, she had a kid and then the green movement kind of came out and she learned that um, the world was overpopulated and the more people there were, the more carbon emissions were being created. And so she decided to stop having kids. And then a guy called in and he said that, he said, yeah, I dated a girl for about four years, but then she started to talk about maybe having kids and I instantly broke up with her because she did not take climate change seriously. And then a woman called in and she said, I had an abortion after deciding that bringing a child into the world would lead to further climate change and the child would use my privileges to further pollute the world and then finally one that broke my heart. A woman called in and she said, I'm a young childbearing aged woman and because of the mounting pressures that I've been told about of the effects of overpopulation on climate change and the terrifying reality that my child might face in 2050 and 2100, I decided to bravely get sterilized so that I would not be tempted with the selfish risk of reproduction. You see, people sense a coming judgment. Even outside church, they feel this coming. And regardless of what you believe with the science or not, people are willing to change their lifestyles because they are afraid. Not only are they afraid, they're looking for an escape route. They think that walking to schnooks, that eating vegan, that driving a Tesla is going to save them. And essentially, they think that their own good works are going to save them and their children from purgatory. A hellscape of a future that they think is coming and their way out is the sale of indulgences in the form of hybrid cars and soy proteins. And there are also those that in the face of this coming judgment, are doing nothing. They say, it's not my fault, it's not my problem. I don't believe in it. Uh, I'm going to throw my perfectly recyclable glass and aluminum that has been in the system since 1920 when it was mined out of the earth. That's going in the garbage instead. I won't recycle. They think that the fire going on in the Westlake landfill is just okay. They treat God's beautiful, wonderful, good creation like it's nothing. Is there anything that someone can do or not do to escape inevitable judgment? Can choosing not to have kids be the ultimate atoning sacrifice to the carbon emissions of the world? Do the 300,000 whole burnt offerings, the child sacrifices to the gods from Planned Parenthood each year abate the coming judgment day? Well, we act like this is a problem that only has faced us today, that we are the first ones with this kind of thinking, even though we have texts like the gospel lesson today, which was kind of scary. On the last Sunday of the church year, which is today, in our text, Jesus has just been declared guilty and sentenced to death after a man who was actually guilty was set free to live another day. It's almost like when you're reading or hearing Luke talk about it, it's like he was sitting there with his pencil taking down notes in his 
journal notebook as he was listening to the apostles, Mary, talk about what happened that day. And he sounds like he can't believe it. He says, he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. I can't believe it. So Jesus is on his way up the hill to die. But first, he has some words of judgment for the people following him. And so they're almost to the place of the skull, Golgotha, where a crowd is weeping and lamenting because they feel guilty about what they've done to innocent Jesus. And Jesus does something strange. He speaks to the crowd, but really, he's speaking to the women who are mourning over him. He addresses them as the daughters of Jerusalem, which is the same way that the prophets address Jerusalem as a whole. And so we can read this confidently today as Jesus pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem itself. What does Jesus say? He says, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they'll say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they'll begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, when the wood's wet, when the wood is new, then what will happen when the wood is dry? Implying that it will all be burnt away in fire. So what it sounds like is that Jesus is giving a thumbs up to all those people that called into NPR. He's saying, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. No way. What Jesus is doing actually is what we all should always be doing. He's pointing to and speaking the way that the scriptures speak. Jesus is saying that you Jerusalemites are just like the Jerusalemites in the Old Testament. You're living in sin and injustice. You're not changing your ways. You're not repenting like Yahweh Father demands. And so his holy, divine, all-consuming fire is going to sweep through and destroy everything. It's going to destroy Jerusalem. It's going to destroy the temple. But it's going to leave a remnant. God leaves behind a new green wood behind him, a stump, a stump that will spring forth a sapling from it, a Messiah, a Savior, and deliver his people. Jesus is saying, I am that Messiah. I did come to you to deliver you. But you kept on living in your sin. You kept inventing new laws to condemn yourselves and others. You're unrepentant, and you rejected me too. You picked the criminal instead. And now, Judgment Day, it's coming. God's holy, divine, unquenchable fire, it's going to come and destroy all of this soon. The Romans, they found me an innocent man, guilty, and they'll soon be finding you all unrepentant, guilty of much more. He's going to destroy Jerusalem. He's going to destroy the temple, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then we have those two criminals that are up there on the cross next to Jesus. The first one, he blasphemes Jesus, actually. He's looking for a way to weasel his way out of judgment. He asks, aren't you the Christ? 
I mean, come on, save us, save yourself from this mess. I don't want to face the judgment in store for me. I don't want to die. But the other guy on the cross, he says something a little different. He's hanging up there on the cross. He's fully recognizing his sin, all of his actions that led to this point, him strung up on a cross. And he says, we're all here under the same condemnation of the law, found guilty by those who are in authority, as they should. That's what the authorities are here for. We're going to get what we deserve. But you, Jesus, you've been found guilty, although you've done nothing wrong. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you, Lord. Remember me in your kingdom when you come into it today. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, though you are condemned to die, facing the judgment of the entirety of your sin, yet because you believe in me, you will pass through this day, this death, into paradise with me. In this man's last hour, there was nothing he could do himself to stop the judgment that was coming, that he deserved. It made sense. He was a criminal. Instead, he trusted and hid himself in that green new wet wood of Christ's cross, dying with him in death, and instead passing into his paradise, while the rest of his world burned away with the dry wood. And so we return to our world today, to the world of public radio, to people trying to save themselves from the coming judgment with cold showers. We return to our very own day of the Lord that we see coming very soon, not wanting to birth children into the dreadful 2050 or 2100. Something stood out to me about those broadcasts I listened to on NPR. Though they seem to pose these callers as the new heroes of the 21st century, still, one of the reporters said something that stuck out to me. She said, yeah, People have a lot of negative effects on this world, to say the least. But let's not forget that people can have other effects on this world as well. I mean, children, for example, are one of the biggest constituencies pushing to fight to treat the world a little bit different. They're also the hope and bright minds that bring solutions to the future with technology. I actually believe that 2050 and 2100 will be years worth living in in this world because you're going to be alive, not dead. So if you're longing to have children, do so and have them fight for their world. Now, Jesus actually said in his earthly ministry that God did not send him into the world to condemn it, as it may seem in today's reading but actually instead to save it. So let's lean on those words of judgment we heard today that were for the women, but are actually words of gospel for us, good news. Jesus says if they do these things, if they lament when the wood is green, wet, and new, then what will happen when the wood is dry? Well, when we are baptized into Christ, when village baptizes its many children into Christ, they're actually baptizing them into Christ's death, into that green, new, wet wood, which is the cross. And as we sang today, nothing in our hands we bring, 
only to the cross we cling. That green, wet wood of Christ crucified on the cross is a fortress. It's a house. It's a home. Able to withstand that fire of baptism, which John the Baptist talks about, which burns away in holiness all that is old, dry, rotten, dead in us and of our world, and gives us new life in Christ. What is God's judgment and death to the world is instead to us life everlasting. When we repent, when we change our behavior, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we, like that criminal on the cross, though we're condemned to death by our sin with good reason, instead we pass on into paradise through Christ's suffering and resurrection. And it does not stop there. In this new life that we received in Christ, that we all have received in Christ, all these new babies that... They were talking about with overpopulation being born into the world in places like Ethiopia, Congo, Uganda. These are all people being brought into the world, being made alive in baptism, in the wellspring of churches booming up in those places. And now they're co-workers with Jesus, with you, like us, bringing peace, wholeness, shalom back to a broken, fallen creation. Because of Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, all those cold showers we're taking, all the red meat we're skipping out on each week, all the hybrids that we choose to drive, all those things, they're no longer meaningless works to escape judgment. No, now in baptism, they're acts of grace to restore and create anew with Jesus, a fallen, beloved creation. This important work can't be done outside of this church that you and all of us are baptized into. And it can't be done without lots and lots of new Christian hands to do it. So please, with God's blessing under the green new wood, of Christ's cross, in the face of despair and a day of final ultimate judgment, be fruitful and multiply. Amen.